track of exactly what's going on, you know. Get spooky already, get spooky already. When will this thing get spooky? I'm not even scared, not even a little bit. Why? Aren't I scared? I guess the response of fear isn't programmed into. Alright, hi there people, welcome back to the Nicholas Comics Q&A, that was the X-Bats with Ghost in the Record Store, and it's October 30th, one day before Halloween, this came out with a big half hour long video where I call Lovecraft cringe and racist for half an hour straight, it's good fun. Uh, we, we got a comment already on this video because of course it's going to be controversial, I assume all the... All the My Chemical Romance fans are already aching at the bit to tell me their spicy hot take on why my perspective on Lovecraft is wrong. Uh, Anon comments, His being racist, being the excuse to grind your axe, is top-notch humor. And while I wouldn't say the primary objective of the video is to be funny, um, yeah, it, it's pretty funny. And, uh, I, I mean, I don't, th I don't think his being racist is really an excuse. I think that's the reason why... A lot of people are turned off from his work, and I think it's the reason a lot of people should be turned off of his work. But that said, um, so this is the Halloween Q&A. Uh, spooky questions only this time around. I got Mini Gus on the, on the voice chat. You got any interesting Halloween questions? Any interesting Halloween-style um, queries? What is the most spookiest... Halloweeniest way to vote in the next election. Oh gosh! Well, I know that a lot of fictional characters have been uh, voted for. Like Mr. Potato Head, uh, most famously, was once almost voted for in Idaho. So, and I, I think you can vote for Dracula, or Frankenstein, or Pinhead, or anyone you really want. That's the appeal of democracy. Um, so. I'd say that's the spookiest way because usually you can't can't uh, you know draw on a ballot or write anything creepy on a ballot or it won't get accepted. But you can absolutely um, specify other and write in um, you can write in Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger or whatever, and uh, legally it has to be accepted. So I'd say that's the most uh, spooky way you can probably vote. Any other question? No, nothing spooky. Yeah, that's probably the that's probably as far as it can really go with your vote being accepted. You can't draw on a vote or anything because run them through a computer. I I do find it interesting, however, that um, even in this age of technological innovation, the only way that votes are accepted is through the mail. It it goes to show that um, really you, you just can't trust a computer system in voting that much. At least that's how it is here in Denver. Mail-in voting is where it's at. Um, that said, I, I do find some pretty interesting things around Halloween. Most notably, uh, analog horror is getting big. And it starts with Local 58. I've seen Local 58. All five of the videos, or six of the videos, or it's a pretty short series. Um, ECFA came earlier than Local 58, of course. But these days, there's just analog horror series popping out. And uh, a couple Q&As back, I discussed the Walton Files. And just what a cringe-tastic shitstorm this is. 
because these analog horror things are being made by people who have no idea what kind of technology was accessible at the time. And I think the appeal of analog horror is that, like, it's believable. You know, you believe, actually, that, that like, this could be on a VHS tape or on a TV broadcast or whatever. And, like, if it uses technology that wasn't available at the time, it completely ruins the immersion. Um, the Walton Files is just an incredible example of an analog horror series that's just a complete piece of shit. Like, Local 58, I can go with that. Obviously, Chris Straub knows what he's doing and making everything very period accurate. So it's a pretty good series. But then you look at The Walton Files, and it's like this... this a series of, it's just a Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff, but it's in the 70s. And it's it's about a freaking pizzeria in, like, suburbia, which would not have the budget to make these CGI animal characters. Like, I get that in the 70s was the first decade when computer animation was first being taken really seriously. You get that. But you wouldn't just see a random pizzeria having cgi characters they have animatronics that's why chuck e cheese had animatronics because that was a that was an affordable use you know that was an affordable technique back then you had to be at like stanford or something to access like 3d render technology also the font that they use the the 70s ish font these walton files videos it looks like something from freaking like google docs this is one of the most cringe series i've ever seen and to think that this is what's scaring people these days, I mean, it's just ridiculous, because... I mean, obviously, these drawings are done in, like... The font is so clearly not from 1978. The graphics are so clearly not from 1978. And, you know, VHS is introduced in 1977, so that aspect is fine. But, like, just to think that th that this is, like considered what's good analog horror i can't i can't believe it and i think it's a real shame because you know it, it is a format with with a lot of appeal and a lot of uh, you know a lot of novelty and it's also nostalgic and everyone loves a good dose of nostalgia here and there but i think people need to be more discerning about what's what's like you know what what looks good in this format because they got like this horrible photoshop job that looks like it was slapped together in, in like photoshop in three minutes and, and this guy is like over 300,000 subscribers just because just because he, he he puts together these 3d models like is the horror supposed to come from how bad the, these 3d models look or how like it's it's anachronistic because damn straight it's anachronistic and then they have this supposed video game tie-in that does not at all look like a video game you'd be seeing in like 1978 it looks like some shit from like 1995 you got a raster screen there wasn't there, there wasn't pc gaming in the freaking 70s you had the atari you had the odyssey that was it but i guess they gotta shove this this computer thing in there some like I find it really funny that, that these people who do not understand what kind of technology was available in the 70s are trying to make stories that are explicitly set in the 70s and all depend on 1970s technology. Like, you could just, like, you could just make a, a drama set in the 70s without any analog technology elements, um, you know, like, like Zodiac with David Fincher or whatever, but 
the appeal of analog core is the technology, so I don't see why the technology isn't being given more precedence, because quite honestly, it is embarrassing. That's not to say all analog core series are inaccurate. Um, there are quite a few that really do capture the sense of watching a creepy old VHS tape, and really, I mean, that's an appealing concept, because a lot of the time there have been creepy things found on VHS tapes. But, like, you know, it's not that hard. All you have to do to make convincing analog horror series is get your hands on some VHS and get a v VCR and just record onto the v VHS and then transfer that onto your computer. Not that hard. But some people just don't go to the don't go to the necessary trouble to to do that, and I find this wacky. And you don't even have to do VHS. You you could do Betamax. You could do Hi8. You could do Helical Scan. You could do you you could make an analog horror series based entirely on IMAX. You know, switch things up because no one says analog just has to be VHS. There are other analog formats out there. Um, but but so many of these are just complete garbage that just bank off the success of Local 58, and none of them are that good. And, you know, the ones that are good never get enough clout. Like, I saw one just the other day, I forget what it was called, but it was really good. And it had, like, ten views. And meanwhile, the Walton Files is getting all the clout. Meanwhile, people don't even get that this isn't the kind of shit you'd see in 1978, and that completely breaks one's immersion. Like, maybe, I guess... If if you're like a if if you're 12 and you group all these decades together and have no like understanding of where things start and stop, maybe uh, this kind of thing is creepy for you. But like, I actually appreciate VHS, and it's not to say at all that VHS can't be scary. It can be scary. Um, over on the Unsyke server, an interesting question was asked: uh, Do I like the ring? And I do like The Ring, because it was made when VHS was still in common use, and the idea of having a VHS that, that kills you after you watch it is really cool. Um, but, you know, it wasn't trying to nostalgia bait people, or be like, old technology is so creepy, because it wasn't old technology when The Ring came out, it was stuff that people still used. And, you know, that's part of the appeal of VHS, the anonymous nature of it, but... Um, yeah, I can't say I hate the ring, but then I then I see something like the trailer for James Wan's Malignant. I'm like, instantly, this is going to be so cringe, because it opens up, there's this lady, and she's like, Oh my gosh, it's a spooky VHS tape! And I'm instantly like, okay, this is just going to be a movie that makes VHS seem creepy, even though there's nothing inherently creepy about VHS. If there's just a VHS, and it's just a recording of, like, Harvey Corman or some shit, it's not creepy. It's creepy if there's something creepy on it. Otherwise, it's just a thing that you can record onto. And the ring gets that, I think. Ring two and rings you don't get that. Like in the new in the new rings, um the the girl climbs out of a freaking cell phone. It's like that's so stupid. Because phones don't have the same type of anonymity that VHS offers. So like what's the point? I think that's just really, really ridiculous that this ghost, who it's explicitly explained in the movie, subsists entirely on VHS tapes, can somehow make the transition from analog to digital? Like, how does she even do that, for gosh sakes? It's ridiculous. But, uh, The Ring itself is a fine, great movie, and the same would go, I'd say, for the Blair, Rich, Blair Witch Project. Um, it looks really good, because it's, it's on a legitimate camcorder, 
and it looks like something that would be shot back in the 90s. It's nostalgic, it's cool, it's fun, and it's shot on technology that is not so so common anymore. But it doesn't kind of send to that technology. It's just the aesthetic. I think that's great. The Blair Witch Project easily could have been shot on normal film and look all sharp, but it goes for a low-res low res look, and that really adds a lot to the movie. And I think a lot of these analog horror people don't really get the, like, you, you gotta make it look authentic or it just doesn't look good. Like, if, if you're not, not even gonna invest in a real v, VHS and you're just gonna overlay a VHS filter, a trained eye can pick that shit up instantly. I can, I can tell the difference between a computer generating what it believes is random blips of static and actual blips of static that are actually randomly generated um, by a unique taping process. It's not that hard to see right through. The other, uh, the other big analog horror series that everyone's been talking about, since this is the uh, Halloween episode, after all, is the Mandela Catalog. And first off, naming your series after the Mandela Effect, which has been covered and covered and covered to the point where it's boring now. And it doesn't even have anything to do with the Mandela Effect, so, like, why even call it that, first off? But this is... 150,000 subscribers, so doing like crazy numbers right now. The The most viewed video has 1.4 million views, which is way too much for some shit that someone slapped together in Photoshop in like five minutes. And it's, it's seriously a Local 58 ripoff, because Local 58 starts the trend off of analog horror dealing with Oh no, it's a spooky public service announcement, not a public service announcement, like a tornado warning or whatever. Except instead of a tornado warning, it's, oh my gosh, it's it's a gosh dang alien or something, it's a creepy, eldritch horror, right? But the problem with this is that there's more, th there's more that you can do with, like, the, the, the idea of broadcast TV than just... A, a, a disaster warning or whatever, you know. And the Mandela Catalog just has the same exact shit Local 58 did, like, what, three years ago it is at this point? It has the exact same shit, but it's just like, well, this is different, because this is the Mandela Catalog. It's a different series. No, it's not. It's just a ripoff. And like I said, nothing against Local 58. It's an okay series. It's really short, and I think it's high time there's a new one, because, I mean, my gosh... Nothing deserves this much views with, like, eight videos. That's barely anything, but, um, you know, perfectly good series. Obviously, Chris Straub pays attention to what's historically possible, and, like, part of what makes Local 58 so appealing is that, like, the 60s Local 58 looks different from the 90s Local 58, which looks different from the 80s Local 58. He gets that, you know... This this stuff is set into distinct time periods. Contingency looks different from show for children and so on. But, uh, the I mean, I don't think the, the Cadavera cartoon is especially convincing. It's clearly animated in Flash, but that's beside the point. It, it, it's, it's a fine, you know, and like he keeps it in the, in, in the standard resolution for VHS. I like that. It, 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 has a, it has a nice thing going for it. Because when it came out, it was original. But here comes the Mandela catalog. What a flippin' joke. Um, it starts out with this thing called the Think Principle. Or no, actually, it starts out with this Bible cartoon, uh, which is really cringe. Um, but the Think Principle is just like public service announcement. 
guess what? There's like these freaking clones that are going to come in your house and they're going to be scary. Oh my gosh, this is wild. And when Local 58 did this, it's like, you know, uh, there's a, there's aliens or whatever. And back then, it was a new thing. But then here comes the Mandela catalog. It's it's just unbelievably like it's such an obvious derision. Um, it, it's so obviously derivative that I I don't even see how this shit fools people anymore. And, and not to say that all the people who see this think it's real, but like you wouldn't even think this is real. It's not even possible that you'd think this is real at this point because it's so gosh dang hokey and 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 cheesed up, like to the point of of where. The, the, there's no point, because with Analog Horror, you're supposed to think, oh, I could find this shit on a VHS tape, and it would be really creepy. Whether it was fake or it was real or what, it'd be creepy. But, like, you'd never find this on a VHS tape, because it's not the kind of thing you'd find on a VHS tape, and it doesn't even look like it's on a VHS tape. It just looks like he, he put a little filter over it. Um, so, another problem with Analog Horror I see quite a bit is that there's no dialogue. And this is a serious downside, I'd say, to the format. And I think it's a problem that should be fixed. Because if you just have... Like, VHS is great at recording sound. I know this because it, it has such good stereo. Especially if you have some VGA cables and you got left and right stereo. It sounds amazing. I'm so surprised that, like, more analog horror doesn't take advantage of this and have some dialogue or some music or some sound effects. It's always so goddamn quiet. It's, you know, I get that, like, some VHS tapes have pauses and stuff, but they're, like, you can, you can do so much shit with sound on VHS, and I think that's a weird aspect that, like, the practically silent movies, there's never any dialogue. There's never any, like, there's never any talking. There's never any freaking, uh, you know, like, fully work and you just think this is necessary for a, for a cohesive story but i guess analog horror buffs just think that vhs's were all like quiet and toned down and like muffled which they absolutely are not but uh probably the worst example of this horrible voice acting which again is not an excuse because we live in an age where you can hire voice actors and you can hire you know uh talented fully people and get people on who are actually passionate about making your video sound and look good so it's like why do you have the worst possible voice actors for the small snippets that do have dialogue and add even a little bit of humanity to your thing but uh the, the worst part is like in mandela catalog is when you hear this hokey conversation between these two guys and one of them's like dang we just heard a freaking weird, like, disaster warning on the TV that says there's these these weird clones that are gonna come in and eat us or some shit. Um, but they act so for they act so flippin' nonchalant about it. It's like they act like it's a like it's a rainstorm warning. Like, oh dang, well there, I guess we have clones now. That that's pr that's pretty uh that, that's pretty something, huh? Better stay inside. I'm gonna play this right now because it's just wacky. And I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat what they say because it's just it's just it's just obscene. It's just ridiculous how how bad the voice acting is on these things. He's like, 
Yeah, that's the weird part. He sounds he sounds like chills. He sounds like Burger King foot fungus, for gosh sakes. And this is the kind of thing that they expect me to take seriously. Like, my gosh, you know. Uh, it's ridiculous, because it's obviously just the, these, these photos of these two guys, and they're like, oh, no, I just heard over the TV that there's there's a clone epidemic, and they got gangri gang gangrenous tendrils, and they're going to come in and, and kill me or eat me. Dang. I guess I'll have to Netflix and chill tonight. Like, what kind what kind of reaction is this? Like, you can assume all you want that they, they live in a universe where this kind of stuff is standard, but you'd think there'd be a little more panic in their voice, but they're like, ah, dang, I'm, I'm on my way to the ER, but could you do me a favor? It's like the most nonchalant shit. They just heard that the... They just heard that there's these things running amok, and they're just like, Yeah, it's not me, it's my mom. She's knocked out cold, and I have no idea why. I'm on my way to the yard, but could you do me a favor? Yeah, of course. What is it? I just need you to come over and turn on the cameras we have set up. You know, the ones that were installed after... This is the kind of dialogue I expect from a paranormal activity movie. You know, where, where, where the threat is not definite or tangible, where it's just kind of under the wire. But this is like, this is you see something on broadcast TV that, that, that talks about clones or some weird shit that's going to come and kill you. And you have to hide under a table or some shit. And these guys are just like, hey, can you come over here and set up the cameras? Like, this isn't scary. It's just not. It, it's not subtle. It's not scary. It's about as lame as it gets. Um, the Mandela Catalog is one of the frickin' worst series I've seen. And I'd say part of the appeal of Local 58 is the, is the immersion that it gives, you know. Um, the, 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 the donation site Chris Strabe has set up. And he says it's short, unsettling films in the found footage slash VHS aesthetic. But that's not true. Contingency is obviously in the in the film aesthetic because it's from the '60s. But um, it's really good at at, at at doing the immersion. It's about section. It says analog horror at five four hundred and seventy six megahertz. The Mandela catalog has like the the worst, poorest immersion I've seen. It's just like professional email alexkister936 at gmail dot com. Please support the series on Patreon, Twitter, Instagram. Like, if Local 58 did that, it'd be a frickin' joke, you know? Um, obviously, there are links to, like, the store and Chris, Chris Strab's biography, but they're they're spaced out in this nice Courier New Type font. It's it's immersive, you know? But this this guy is clearly just using this shit because he's at film school or, some, or something, and he's like, Oh, dang! Analog whore? That's the ticket. I can get my degree with that. You know, there's no passion in it. He's just doing it as a means to an end. And, uh... It's only like three months old, four months old, which is just mental. Cause like you, you gotta have some foundation in the industry. Like Chris Drubbs, Channel Cove. It's like 2011, 2012. You know, very early on. Um, he's set up in the set up in the in the zeitgeist. But my gosh, this Mandela catalog thing is one of the worst I've ever seen, and uh, possibly the craziest bit is uh, overthrown. 
where it's just a scary face. That's just the whole gimmick. It's just, oh my gosh, it's a scary face. This angel has a scary face. Oh my gosh, angels are supposed to be the good guys, but here this angel is a bad guy? What? It's like, like, jeez, you know? I guess, it, I guess, much like has been Hotel, it's supposed to appeal to the ex-Christian crowd, but like, yeah, I can accept that angels can be bad guys. We move on. Anyway, the Mandela catalog is really cringe. Now, another series that I have mixed feelings on is Gemini Home Entertainment. I think Gemini Home Entertainment gets the gets the idea of of you know uh, of uh, it kind of switches things up because Local Fifty Eight is TV broadcast. Gemini Home Entertainment says, you know, what if? There's creepy uh, home entertainment VHS tapes, which for me is very relatable, obviously, because there were these obscure home entertainment collectives like Pamplin Entertainment, who, who was behind Bible Man, that would just put out this weird shit that nobody watches. So it's a plausible scenario. But part of the problem with Gemini Home Entertainment is nobody freaking talks. There's no dialogue. And uh, that's, like I said, a big problem with a lot of these analog horror series. There's no... There's there's no dialogue, which doesn't make any sense, especially if there's supposed to be a home entertainment series. Because unlike broadcast TV, where you have some weird public access shows with no dialogue, this is home entertainment. You mean to tell me that there's something called Christmas Eve party, and all we get is like this subdued, like still images of a, of a Christmas tree with faint murmurs in the background? Like, where are the people who are talking? You know. Because, again, no home entertainment release would be without people in it. It's just not something that happened. So it's like, I expect some people here, and if there's people who I actually give a shit about, actual characters who I'm supposed to, who I'm supposed to get invested in, then maybe once the VHS tape gets all glitchy and creepy shit starts happening, then maybe I'll be like, okay, I buy into this. But I can't be like that if there's nobody talking and nobody doing anything. And it's just footage from, it's just like still images that are edited with a little wobble, you know. That's not really, that's not really creepy. Gemini Home Entertainment's one of the better ones. But, I mean, to think that Gemini Home Entertainment and the Mandela Catalog have the same amount of subscribers, even though Gemini Home Entertainment's like way better and takes a lot more effort per video. It just goes to show that nobody's really talking about these series in a critical fashion, which I think is very important for any emerging any emerging medium. Um, Gemini Home Entertainment is decent enough, especially in the episodes where dialogue wouldn't necessarily need to be there. But, again... I can't really identify with this threatening scenario where there's monsters and shit if I don't even know that there's people in this in this universe. Like, if there's no people, then why do I give a shit? It's, it's an empty world of nothing. You know, so that's one problem. I think a lot of these fellas just believe that uh, it's scary not to have any characters and just to be, like, empty and devoid of life. But, you know, sometimes you have to actually add in some characters. Um... The Walton Files actually tries to do that. The Walton Files actually tries to add in some characters. The problem is that the voice acting is so abysmal, and the storyline is so convoluted, and everything is so gosh darn soap opera-esque, it feels like I'm watching Dallas. Like, it, it's it's just sad, you know, that nobody nobody takes the time to actually put some real effort into this kind of stuff. Because if done well, it could, it could be really good and really, really strike out, you know, because, I mean... It's been established that uh, VHSs can be freaking creepy.
like for instance Slap Happy. That's something that nobody would have would have probably thought about. And then they find VHS and they're like, oh my gosh, this is really creepy. Um, same with What's Your Problem. What's Your Problem's great. Also, What's Your Problem has a guy in it who you can identify with and you can be like, oh, who's this guy? What's his deal? What's his problem, as it were? Uh, I really don't think any of this new brand of analog horror has that kind of has that kind of you know punch to it. It doesn't have any characterization. It, the writing is bad. Like these people don't even think out their storylines before they 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 put them out. And uh, obviously, Ekva came first. I think Ekva is probably the most admirable. You also got Info Channel. Info Channel's got got freaking Fred Firmer or whatever his name is. That stuff's great. Fred Firmer's the kind of guy who you can really relate to on a base level. Info Channel's fun. But I think the problem comes when you got stuff like Local 58, which, albeit, was the, was, the, was the foundational text of its generation. But really, I think a lot of series are just trying to be the next Local 58 without giving any thought to, like, is this plausible? You're putting CGI models in flipping 1978. That's just not something that would happen. And truth be told, it'd be creepier if they were animatronics or costumes. That shit's horrifying. But sometimes it's like supposed to be real footage, but it's a CGI model. Like what? The, what is this potpourri of of putting CGI things in the real world? I'm not scared of them. You know, Five Nights at Freddy's, that's necessary because it's a video game, so everything has to be animated in that god-awful-looking vomit style. But with Walden Fawns, you, you just need some fabric, for gosh sakes, and you could make a convincing animatronic skeleton, and it'd be creepy. But I'm not scared by a CGI model. If some CGI it looks like shit, and, uh, I mean, in the 70s especially... But they wouldn't even have the budget to get get their hands on CGI software because that shit was experimental in 1978, and this isn't a problem, of course, for like 90s analog or you know, it was it was it was accessible then. It's reasonable to think that 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 a pizza chain could have gotten its hands on some CGI technology in the 90s, not in the flipping 70s. Like these people don't even understand the history of the kind of techniques that they're trying to use, which is just sad. It's so gosh darn sad. Um. But Ekva's great. Ekva's good. Um, I just think nobody really, really puts thought into this kind of thing anymore. They're just like, v VHS is spooky. Oh my gosh, it's so spooky. Wow, VHS, so spooky. VHS isn't spooky on its own. You've got to come up with a plot, you know? That's why the Blur Witch Project is good, because it has a story and characters who talk who we get invested in and get to get to understand, you know? And that's the same case with a lot of creepypastas like Ted the Caver and whatnot. You know, those deal with characters we get invested in, who go through a story, who go through a conflict. That's what, that's what makes things interesting. But if all it is is like, this is a message from the emergency broadcast system. There are aliens in your area. You had best watch out. Then I'm just like, yeah, that's not how it would go. It'd be mass hysteria. You think you think every TV station has a freaking alien invasion emergency message message ready to go? You need you need to actually conceive of how that kind of thing would play out. And these series are so bad at, and the voice acting is so god awful. These people don't know how to talk, and uh, you know it's just really sad uh, how how the thing. How it's going? I think I think it could use so much improvement 
in the coming years, or it's just going to devolve into, like, a, a, a shit fest. And especially the ones that just use a VHS filter. Like, come on. Just go out and buy some VHS and record onto it. It's not that hard. It looks way better. Anywho, it's 3.30. That, that is my thoughts on the current state of analog or What are your thoughts? Oh, I've never watched analog horror. I actually don't watch not any that, kind It's of not that really. great. There are much better examples. But don't even try to be it. Like, there's plenty of stuff on old VHS that I would term unsettling. There's plenty of stuff from 90s public access that I would term really unsettling. But, I mean, this new thing, it, it, it's just, it has, it has potential. Every time a new series comes out, you know, like this this is not this is not capturing because i I'm a VHS buff I know VHS's look I know what I know it was technologically possible given a certain time frame and if it's if it's not believable that I can find this stuff on a VHS tape and I'm not scared and I think these I, I don't think analog horror should be held to a different standard than normal horror if you're not telling an interesting or compelling story then it's not it's not good and I think analog horror has its fair share of flops that are just like Troll 2 or, uh, you know, Paranormal Activity 5 or whatever. It's going to have its fair share of bombs, and I think it's important to recognize that. That said, I do think the format has some potential, and there's some good series out there. Um, the, the good ones are, of course, as with most things, more obscure. That said, that's my thoughts on analog horror. Just, just a really wild phenomenon, because... It it starts out with promise and then it just goes it just goes down a slow slow slope into oblivion. Pretty sad. At any rate three thirty two and video on uh, Lovecraft will probably be pretty divisive, but I think it's very important to get the truth about Lovecraft out there because the guy's stories are not that good. Anywho uh, Kippy was upset last Q&A about how I said that Hasbin Hotel was like eating a big bowl of syrup. Um, and he says that if this was a normal podcast, which it isn't, it's a Q&A, but if it was a normal podcast, uh, then he would be able to chime in with a hilarious anecdote concerning maple syrup. Uh, and since he's not here, I figure I'll tell the, I'll tell the story. Apparently, he was... He was drinking a whole bowl of maple syrup, and he found some ants in there. There were some. There, he 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 tasted a slight crunch, and then oh my gosh, there's ants in the maple syrup. It's got to be one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. It's a lot like the uh, it's it's a lot like the Kentucky Fried Rat story, and much like the Kentucky Fried Rat story, um, what Kip describes as being in his maple syrup is almost definitely a violation of FDA regulations. So, if it's real, he probably has a whole billion-dollar lawsuit on his hands. He can probably sue Aunt Jemima or Log Log Cabin or whichever brand is packaging ants into their syrup. I didn't even know that was possible, given the way that maple syrup is refined multiple times. And how ants don't even particularly go into maple trees. I mean, I've heard... I've heard stories of people who just go up to a maple tree, just tap it, and they just get pure maple syrup. It's not like ants could even survive in there. It's so gosh darn sticky. I mean, they'd probably die in that shit. But, uh, this is apparently the kind of uh, hilarious and witty anecdote 
that Kip believes is missing from this podcast here, the kind of relatable and funny and wacky anecdote that, you know, you don't see that. But my question is, why isn't Kippy suing the maple syrup company? Because I don't think that's a normal thing to find in your maple syrup, just like tons of ants. You know, you'd, you'd think that's, you'd think that's a, an FDA violation. It's like, that's not the kind of thing that you'd normally find in your food. Um... You know, so I, I just find that pretty humorous, and uh, yeah, it's it's a hilarious story because it's it's not real, but it's nice that Kip thinks that's the kind of thing that makes that makes a pod it gives a podcast its punch. I don't know what kind of podcast he listens to. Maybe the one that the the new Jeopardy host uh, ran, where he just makes fun of his co-host's height all the time in order to be relatable and wacky. Um, I, I think that's pretty interesting that he thinks that uh, this story about the maple syrup would have somehow made, made the episode more interesting. I think that's that's kind of weird, you know, because he just feels like, it got, oh, dang, maple syrup was brought up. I got to bring up my hilarious Aunt Maple Syrup story because that's a witty anecdote that is totally real and which will add a lot of quirk and uh, randonimity uh, to the discussion at hand. You know, we're not discussing Kip's maple syrup ant experience or discussing uh, maple syrup, but the, the general idea is that uh, if, if a bunch of ants in maple syrup. I, I really can't buy that. That sounds like the kind of thing... It doesn't even seem like ants would, would go into a maple tree because they'd, they'd drown. And, you know, I mean, I get, like, like sugar cane. You know, that shit's dry. Ants all over that. I can't, I can't buy with a maple tree. I've never heard of maple trees that are infested by ants. Google it, you know. I'll see if, I'll see if there's cases of that. Maple tree ant infestation. Because uh, it seems like, well, I hear that maple trees are pretty safe to eat from, you know. They're pretty safe. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some cases. I can't imagine it being, like, that, that common. It's like... You know, maple farms have to actually abide by standards, and if they notice that one of their trees... It's not like they just go out to the forest where maybe some ants have invaded some maple trees. It's like they got they got to actually, like, farm this shit. So farming, finding an ant in your maple syrup is probably about as common as finding, an ant, uh, finding a worm in your apple, you know? They pick the apples without the worms, because those are the ones that are safe for human consumption, and they're grown on special farms where they, you know, look at the trees regularly, and if there's one infested by ants, it goes. So I just, I just don't find that very, uh, very, I just don't find that story very, very plausible somehow. I'm not really buying it. What are your thoughts? How plausible does it sound? I think the ants got into the bowl after the syrup was poured. Well, no, he, he says that he, he had this kind of crunch in the maple syrup. I find it strange that he'd be looking directly in the bowl. Also, who just eats a, a, an entire bowl of maple syrup? But, like, who who is pouring syrup into a bowl and doesn't see an ant climb in it? Like, I get the if, if it's in the syrup... It'll be a little harder to see. It'll kind of be like it's encased in amber, you know, kind of, kind of obscured from view. But I, and he says there's a crunchy texture, like there were multiple ants in the maple syrup. But like, 
Also, I just don't think ants are that fast. Like that, they could get on on pancakes or waffles or something like five seconds after you pour the syrup on. I just don't think they're that fast, really. Uh, it's not a it's not a very relatable anecdote at any rate. I just don't think ants are that big into maple syrup. Like they're big into sugar. That shit's dry and it doesn't kill them. If an ant goes into if an ant goes into maple syrup, it, it's gonna die. It's basically a suicide mission because that shit's sticky. It's gonna it's gonna drown in that. Um, and contrary to popular belief, I mean ants aren't stupid. Like flies are really stupid. They go on a fly paper. They go on to spider webs. You know, they'll go on to anything sticky. But ants really just ants don't do that. They have a hive mind. You know, they have a whole thing going on with the queen who can transmit signals to them. Like, I just don't buy that they'd, they'd all go into this maple syrup just because they see some, and just because it smells good, they'd see, like, oh, shit, we're going to die in that, you know? Go into sugar all the time, because that doesn't kill them, but... I don't think ants are like lemmings. I don't think they're they're suicidal all the time. Um, at any rate, just a, just a bizarre story that Kippy thought was would be so relatable and funny for, for to bring up you know my point is that maple syrup isn't even that good for consumption in, in large quantities but you now I guess that's a really that's a really weird anecdote I've never heard that one but it's like the it's like the windy chili finger the KFC rat or the I have a whole book of urban legends about weird stuff and food. Oh my gosh, I, I found a found a tongue in my tuna. It's the tuna tongue. Oh my gosh. Uh, Kippy's the way Kippy says it verbatim is funny thing. I was drinking maple syrup out of a bottle yesterday. So yeah, not on pancakes, not on waffles, not anything like that. Just straight out of the bottle. Drink it, just guzzling it like a cola, I guess isn't exactly a relatable anecdote because I don't want to just drink straight maple syrup. Um, anyway, Gibby says, Funny thing, I was drinking maple syrup out of a bottle yesterday and realized the texture was kind of quote-unquote gritty. It turns out it was had horde of dead ants in it. That's the kind of amusing personal anecdote you'd hear on a podcast where the, where the guest gets to get a word in. And I say, it was had horde of dead ants in it? Gosh, that certainly is the sort of amusing anecdote that turns a podcast from subpar to exemplary. Um, that just doesn't seem like the kind of story that really spices anything up, aside from, like, the obvious revulsion factor, like, oh my gosh, I found some ants, I'm eating bugs, can you believe it? But that that's not really, like, it's not really amusing. It's not believable. I don't buy that that kind of kind of thing could pass the FDA. And if it di if it did, then it's the kind of one in a million circumstance where you have this huge settlement from the maple syrup company. You could sue them. You could sue the maple syrup company because it's not a normal thing you find in your bottle of maple syrup. Because most ants really aren't attracted to maple trees that much because they know that they're going to die in there because it's too sticky for them. They get all stuck up in there. And, uh, you know, they love sugar, but I I've never heard of, like, ants just going after a maple tree like crazy, you know. I feel like it, since there are ants everywhere, like, they're, they're a very prolific species, since there are ants everywhere, 
and and if they all are just so attracted to maple syrup, I feel like you know they nobody would plant maple because because if they're that attracted to this stuff, then it seems like it'd be hard to get a maple syrup. But what I hear, it's really not that hard. And eating eating maple syrup is is safe, especially like just maple syrup straight from the tree is as safe as like eating an apple straight from a tree. It might have a worm, but most don't. You know, that's just the rare case. Um, never heard of if maple trees getting infested by ants. Maybe, I, I mean, they have a sweet tooth, but only to a certain extent. They're not just going to go in on a, on a freaking, you know, they're not going to just go on a kamikaze mission into this into this sticky death trap just just because it smells good, you know, they're not stupid. Uh, anyway. So that's a kind of humorous anecdote Kip says um, should should be here more, and if he ever hops on again, he better have the opportunity to tell hilarious anecdotes such as that one. And uh, if he was on here, he, he could tell it, but I suppose, I suppose he's had his fix. Um, or since I, I I got him with Hasbin Hotel. I think I think um I think he won't be on for a month or so after that. Uh, but I do find it humorous that like so so many fellows are you know are clearly offin either offended or drawn to this cartoon because it has Satan in it, or also at the same time denying like I'm not I'm not a Christian, I'm not like you know you're you're a Christian or a Satanist if you place any weight in the Bible over any other stories. And nothing wrong with that. What I find really, really disheartening is like the disingenuousness that comes with it. Like you you can't you can't say, Well, I'm not a Christian, but I but I re this cartoon resonates with me more because I was because America's a Christian country and Everyone's a like no, it's not. America's a secular country. That's why you can't put up the Ten Commandments in front of a courthouse. Uh, pretty basic stuff. Uh, it, it's not. It's not the Christian aspect even the, that bothers me. It's the disingenuous dishonesty that gets me. And it's like, hey, I'm I'm not a Christian or anything. It's just that I'm gonna give this cartoon more more uh, more attention and focus than all the other than all the other uh, than all the other cartoons out there deal with more interesting stories because uh, I was raised in America and America is the most uh, fundamentalist Christian nation on earth which it's not Vatican City is but like I, I, I this this concept of America being a theocracy is pre is pretty weird because it it's very much not a theocracy. It's it's a secular wall between church and state. We we invented the wall between church and state. There was no wall between church and state before the founding of America, pretty much. And yet we get labeled a, a theocracy, which I just think is bad for America as a whole. Is that it's only giving the racists what they want. If if you say America is by default a racist country that was founded. And racism and everything you're just validating the arguments of the people who say let's keep up the robert e lee statues you know um so it's important to keep in mind that america compared to like europe was was by comparison to that more progressive like that needs to be kept in mind 
and if you make the if you make if you make the sort of racist crowd not feel like you know that that their beliefs are are compatible with with the the foundation of America then their whole their whole system really falls to pieces but i think by saying that america is just by default the most racist religious fundamentalist country on earth that just that's just kind of disingenuous and it's not true um England has way more fundamental Christians than than America. It's it's just how it works, you know. And uh, I I just find that I just find that pretty weird. I think Kip seems to buy into that kind of mindset where it's like, well, you're an American exceptionalist because you're pointing out that America did some things better than other countries at the time. It's like, yes, America better things than other countries back in 1776 it was a better country than most of europe at the time it's not that's not the sort of opinion which really deserves that much scrutiny by comparison it was a better country with better values at the core of its legal document it's not american exceptionalism i don't think america's the the best country anymore i think other countries have far surpassed us like china and uh, the European Union, even Canada, even Canada surpassed us in terms of the basic standard of living. Um, but I, 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 I think that in 1776 terms, I'd probably rather live in colonial America than like Britain. You know, just because, just because there's more, comparatively more rights. Not, not all the rights yet. Those develop over time. But like, you were, te- you were. More, you're guaranteed more liberty in America, which values liberty and independence and everything, than you get in Britain or France at the time. Obviously, fr- France had their own revolution. That's why they're mostly our allies. And uh, Germans, Hessians, kind of were on the side of the British. But, you know, I, I just think that's it's crucial to keep in mind because it's just really weird that, that America gets painted as this, like, fundamentalist uh, crazy on over and and like look and i i think too the the capitol hill riots really really put kind of a distorted view of the average american demographic on because i mean those nut jobs are just the sort who do that sort of thing um i mean atheism has has gotten to such a level it's the largest minority in America right now. Pretty soon, it's going to surpass Christianity. More people will be atheists than Christians. I just wonder, you know, how has been hotel and that kind of, that kind of thing will be seen in the upcoming landscape where like atheism overtakes Christianity is the is the dominant mindset, or at least agnosticism, you know. So that's 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 pretty that's that's a pretty weird take that Kip has. I I also find it really humorous how how Kip has derided me in the past for being anti-science, meanwhile enjoying the stories of H.P. Lovecraft, who's like the most anti-science writer ever. Um, all his stories are fervently anti-science, um, so that's pretty wacky. I'm I'm glad I I'm glad I put together a half-hour video on Lovecraft and how cringy is because the guy is just a cringe stockpile. The guy is just overflowing with a hundred percent unpurified cringe and uh, that that's you know I, I think i think he can be read as an example of cringe but absolutely not as, as an example of like good writing 
Uh, what horror novels would I recommend? I gave horror movie recommendations a while back. What horror novels do I recommend? I, I recommend, uh, I recommend uh, In the Fourth Year of the War by Harlan Ellison. Absolutely one of the scariest short stories ever written. Um, if you're into hell, maybe Flop Sweat. Maybe try Flop Sweat by Harlan Ellison. That one's pretty good. Um, as for novels, I guess I guess I'd have to recommend something wicked this way comes by Ray Bradbury. Absolutely, probably the best novel about a carnival ever written. If you're into carnivals or clowns or merry grounds or Ferris wheels or especially mirror mazes, if you're into mirror mazes, or carnival stuff, then something wicked is the uh, is the tome for you. It's a gosh darn great book. I, I recommend anything by uh, Stephen King. Obviously, it. Uh, Christine, Tommy Knockers, good stuff there. And gosh, what else for horror? I guess I, I guess I'd have to recommend. Uh, I, I guess I guess gosh, what other horror books have I read? Obviously, everything by Grumpo. All that stuff's great. Um, there are a lot of uh, paperbacks from the '70s and like that that are really good. Really underrated. I think the the 70s were kind of the golden age for like uh, you know low low recognition paperback novels. Those were very big back in the back in the 70s. I think that was probably when they reached their reached their peak. But uh, I think I think I think in the fourth year of the war is just a really underrated story. And uh, it's great. It's probably one of the best things Harlan Ellison's ever written. I think Jerry Olander is one of the most captivating villains of of, of uh, literature, like of all time, right up there with like Mr. Moriarty and freaking Dracula and everything. I mean, he's just an incredible villain, just incredibly well written. And in the fourth year of the war, is only like four pages or something, so it's a pretty easy read. Um, in the fourth year of the war, great stuff. With that said. Uh, it's currently 3.52. And at the end of this, I'm going to be giving away a free comic to anyone who can answer a trivia question. This time around, can give out a free copy of Shane of the Undead, because it just came out. I figure it's high time for a free copy. Or it's not officially out yet. It's going to be... trailer for it's going to be come out tomorrow, and then it's going to be entered into the Nicholas Comics catalog. But I think... I think, oh, well, with this being the day right before Halloween all, I think it, it, I'd be amiss not to offer a free copy... Shane of the Undead, really great comic. It's it's twenty pages of solid zombie, zombie fun. And I found out while drawing it, zombies are really fun to draw. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's something about their posture, the way they move, or something. But uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, there's a lot of nuance to it, and I I guess, I guess that's why maybe why zombies are popular. I don't know how popular they are is, is in, in comic form, but I think that's a that's really an unexplored market. Anywho, uh, any other Halloween-related questions? Any any other interesting Halloween-type questions about my thoughts on any any given property or anything? Any given property? I like, I like Peter Lorre. I think Peter Lorre is uh, underrated as far as as far as that lot goes. I, I mean, Peter Lorre's in like uh, he's in the Comedy of Terrors. He's in 
and the Raven. Uh, he's in some great episodes of of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He's in Man from the South, absolute classic, really good. Um, and then I think the best thing uh, that he's in has got to be uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, obviously. And that one's great. I think Peter Lorre doesn't get enough clout. So that should be said. Peter Lorre is absolutely great. Also, also, he's the inspiration for that uh, mad scientist type character in Looney Tunes, um, which is a good impression of him. It looks a lot like him. So, you gotta say, Peter Lorre doesn't get enough clout. One really great episode Alfred Hitchcock presents that I, I don't see brought nearly enough. Specialty of the house. Um, Lam Armstrong needs to be needs to be put in the horror, you know, the horror type food canon because I mean it's just a seriously intriguing dish and i think specialty the house one of the best episodes alfred hitchcock presents might do a top 10 list of alfred hitchcock next year because some of those alfred hitchcock presents episodes are really good like uh keeps cheap lamb to the slaughter road hog obviously those are great uh, last night of the world obviously excellent i think the weirdest episode is probably special delivery because it's Obviously an adaptation, or maybe it's a rip-off of a, a Ray Bradbury story, which isn't something you see that much in Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, there's also, like, there's Specialty of the House, there's Lamb to the Slaughter. Those two can get confused kind of easily, because they both involve a lamb in some way. Um, there's a... What else is there? There are a lot of good episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Uh, there's there's the one about the, uh, the the deaf lady and the and the Filipino lady. That one's pretty good. Um, lots lots of underrated Alfred Hitchcock presents type episodes. And of course, there's Psycho. Can't recommend Psycho enough. Great great stuff. Uh, last year I really roasted on Black Christmas and. I don't regret that. I th I think it's still absolutely overrated schlock fest, and I think it, I think it's you know it's hard to draw the line between a movie that just involves like a female character, um, you know, a female character getting tormented and like you know going over the line into just being depraved and, and sick, and I think. I think a, a good example probably would be like with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, obviously the main character is a girl. She gets strapped up and, and taunted and tortured by this cannibal family. But in the end, she gets away and Leatherface is just like, oh, dang, she got away. Um, I'd say that's a, that's a powerful character, a powerful female character. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre is perfectly passable. Um, also, it, it's not even just that she's a woman. It's just that, you know, it's a family of cannibals. It could have easily just been her... Could, it could have just as easily been her, her handicapped brother who's in a wheelchair, and it would have been the same, pretty much. But uh, then you got stuff like Black Christmas, which, as I've said, is just treats its female characters like objects, and they have no personality traits. And that's just not the kind of stuff that, that's interesting to watch. Uh, and I find it crazy that Black Christmas gets so much clout as a horror movie, like, and Kip, obviously, who you can't seem to formulate his own ideas on on horror movies or anything. When I when I brought when I brought the subject up with him, he's like, "That that's a classic." 
Just because he's heard it's a classic. How does he know it's a classic? How does he know it's good? I mean, I guess, I guess there's such a thing as, like, a bad classic, but I wouldn't even call Black Christmas a classic because it's not even the kind of horror movie or slasher film, I guess you could say, that really endures in, like, the, the, the popular zeitgeist because it's really bad. And uh, that's, you know, pretty interesting. Obviously, you have the new Blumhouse lineup, which unfortunately includes the new Halloween. I'm not going to watch the new Halloween or the new Halloween Kill sequel. It's, it's Blumhouse. And it's not good. It's not going to be good. Um, if, even if John Carpenter's in, the, the two styles just clash too, too severely. Um, you have Truth Dare, you have Happy Death Day, total total garbage worst horror movies of the past decade um, if it's blumhouse it's gonna be trash uh I, i'm definitely not hyped for this new flipping halloween thing because i mean af after after like halloween after halloween three you know where do you go from there what 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 more can you do with the idea at that point i think i think horror movies have too many sequels many gosh darn sequels what is it about the, these slasher films that get some like 10 sequels leprechaun has like s seven sequels and they're great obviously i mean i think leprechaun is the only series that can do it do it correctly because it obviously takes it very tongue-in-cheek but like there's like six freaking nightmare on elm streets there's like 13 freaking friday the 13th and you know at a point it just becomes redundant and Halloween isn't isn't immune from that syndrome. I think I think I just can't buy that this new Halloween is that great. Like, sure, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, but like, it's also Blumhouse, and Blumhouse is trash. Blumhouse really produces some top tier cringe, uh, especially Truth or Dare. Never get Truth or Dare. What a what a horrible concept for a movie. It's like it's like making a horror movie out of Spin the Bottle or something. It's a game that drunk drunk college students play. For gosh sakes, that's your premise for a horror movie. May as well make Twister into a gosh darn horror movie at that point. It's ridiculous. Truth or Dare looks like the most like the worst horror movie of the past ten years. Worse than Happy Death Day. Worse than. Anything else Blumhouse has been putting out, and then on the other end of the uh, schlock meter, you got you got James Wan, who I guess Blumhouse kind of embraces their status as as a producer of trash, but they're not they're not trauma. They're not they're not they're not the film group for gosh sakes. They're freaking Blumhouse. On the other end of the meter, you got James Wan, who's behind like Malignant and Conjuring, and uh, you also got Insidious and Saw, and, like, you know, I, I think to call Malignant to Giallo is just a, a, an insult to Giallo, because he's not even Italian, he's Australian. So, first off, you can't even really make a Giallo movie if you're not Italian, because it takes, it takes an Italian perspective to pull that kind of thing off, but also... I find it so weird that everyone dunks on Dario Argento's later later filmography. Like I, I really don't buy. Not even for a second. Dario Argento's movies could decline in quality to the extent that everyone says they do. Because I've seen his early stuff. I've seen opera, I've seen Deep Red. All incredible shit. I don't buy that like 
Mother of Tears or or the movie called Giallo could be that bad. Like the guy's a genius. So I th I think he gets a bad rap. I think I would probably prefer some of his newer stuff. Like what's his newest one? Ooh, Vortex. No, that's not directed by him. Um his newest one is Dracula 3D. And sure, it doesn't look like the best Dracula ever, but I can't imagine that like I can't imagine it would be worse than anything put out by Blumhouse or James Wan. The Conjuring is is just I guess if Blumhouse ruins the concept of like fun B movies that the college crowd enjoys, which used to be good like The Blob and whatever, I guess James Wan ruins like the the thought-provoking horror movie like The Exorcist or uh, you know, like that, because The Conjuring tries so hard to be the next Exorcist, or like the ne you know the next, uh, like the you now the next uh, last last house on the left or something like that. But it's just not. It's just not. It's just you can't make The Conjuring as good as as good as something from the Golden Age before. You just can't do it. And I think James Wan really needs to stop trying at this point because just run out of ideas the conjuring is is a dead franchise and it wasn't a good franchise when it started conjuring one and two a lot of people seem to give those a break i say toss him in the rubbish heap with everything else i say saw is an ugly movie saw one it's not it's not a, it's not that good a movie it looks so dated the color palette is so gosh darn 2000 like and you know not not every 2000s movie falls to this uh Lima, but I've said in the past there's a certain there's a certain look that defined the 2000s, and you can just tell if a movie is from the 2000s. Obviously, a good movie like David Fincher's Zodiac doesn't really fall victim to that because it's set in the 60s, and unlike a lot of 2000s movies, it actually manages to keep the the period accurate design and everything right up to the end, and you, you wouldn't even know that you're watching something from the from the 2000s because I mean. Uh, What's his name? Uh, the the uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s hairstyle is just, is just so spot on. His beard is just so good. He looks like Al Pacino. Uh, but James Wan, his movies still look like they're made in freaking 2007. And it's pathetic. And this new malignant one is being called like Giallo. And it's like, no, this isn't Giallo. It's just not. It's just not Giallo. Uh, opera's giallo. Deep Red is giallo. Uh, Four Flies on Black Velvet, that's giallo. Malignant is a movie about a lady who finds a creepy VHS tape and she has a, she has a Siamese twin or something. It's not giallo. Uh, and, and some people will say, oh, well, Suspiria isn't giallo because it has witches or whatever and giallo's supposed to be a mystery. I, I put it all in the same category. I say if it's horror or mystery, or horror mystery, and, it, and it's Italian, I think it's reasonable to call that Giallo. But I think... I think Dario Argento can't be can't be that bad. Uh, he has a new one coming out called Occhiali Neri, which is translates into Black Glasses, and that one... Uh, I'm looking forward to that. We'll definitely go see that in theaters once that comes out. Because, I mean, gosh dang, Dario Argento is still pumping out the hits. And this is the guy who's sometimes called the the Italian Hitchcock, so to think that he's still making movies and he's still alive and he's still directing these things, I mean, that's just amazing. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bag on him just because, oh no, his later stuff isn't as good as his early stuff. Like, okay, who cares? Better than everything. Oh, dang. It says the music is gonna be composed by Daft Punk. So yeah, pretty good. It's gonna be pretty awesome. Uh, it's gonna be coming out 2022 in Italy. I'll definitely watch out for that. Based on a 2002 screenplay by Dario Argento that was shelved when Cecigori, the production company, filed for bankruptcy. So it's it's based off a 2002 idea, so probably pretty good. I'll probably want to go see that. Dario Argento is an absolute master. He's an absolute top of his craft. And what I find strange is that the Suspiria remake is given so much so much clout over the original. And I think that's that's just a real shame, because, I mean, the original is, like, so good. Perfect horror movie. 10 out of 10. And I just don't think the, the remake is as good. There's a such thing as a decent remake. There's even a such thing as a perfect remake. But the new Suspiria isn't one of those. It absolutely does not capture... It doesn't even capture particularly giallo energy, which is important if you're adapting an Italian work to, to make it Italian, put an Italian director on it. But uh, Suspiria, I mean, the soundtrack is by frickin' Tom York from Radiohead, so it's not, it's not, it's not Italian-ish at all. It doesn't got Goblin in there. You know, it doesn't have Goblin. That's really important. Um, that is really important. I think, I think the Suspiria remake, when I went to see it, it was like the only option at the movie theater, and I was like, okay, I, I'd rather see this than like The Grinch. Benedict Cumberbatch, but I'm not I'm not gonna like it. And it was it was fine. If it wasn't a remake of one of what is already like the best horror movie ever, it'd probably stand up fine on its own as just a, a decent horror movie. But is it does it like is it as good as the original? Hell no. It's not as good as the original. It's just not. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Like the new Suspiria, yeah. It's it's it, it it it's competent, but it's too it's too heavy handed. The color palette's no fun, um, and it's it's not Italian, which is necessary, especially if the title of your movie is in Italian, for gosh sakes. And uh, one thing that the remake really gets wrong, and this really irks me, is that is it, it the Berlin Wall is put in there. The, the the story is shifted from Italy to Germany, and they put the Berlin Wall in there as, like, this historic, uh, you know, thing that, that's happening alongside the main story about witches. And I don't give a shit about the Berlin Wall. I care about the witch part. That's the that's that's what Suspiria is about. So, like, yeah, it, it tries to make it way too political. It tries to say something deep about the Berlin Wall and, oh my gosh, the divide between capitalism and communism. But Suspiria isn't about that. It's about a dance school. It's run by creepy witches. That's the point. Also, I, I get that you could defend the duller color palette and making everything look boring and gray as an artistic decision. A lot of good horror movies have a pretty color pal look at the original halloween it's not the most colorful movie what they don't seem to get is that that's what makes suspiria 
worth watching because of the juxtaposition between this really horrible subject matter, this really terrifying shit, and the fact that it looks like a beautiful rainbow all the time. It's it's a visually fun movie. It's a fun movie to look at. There's like 15 colors on all at once, and that's the Dario Argento flair. And New Suspiria just doesn't have that. It doesn't have the... It doesn't have the. It does. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look like Suspiria. Definitely, it doesn't look like what I think of when I think Suspiria, or Inferno, or a devilish abyss of color. You know, that's the point of Giallo. It's a very colorful genre. It's weird, but that's what makes it charming. That's what sets it apart from just an American horror movie. Because the Italians like coloring things up. They like. They like putting a bunch of splashes in there of purple and red and all these all this entire rainbow of variety. I find it pretty wacky that some people have the gall to be like, "Oh man, Suspiria's best." Luckily, the Wikipedia page does mention that uh, its historical political setting is unnecessary in relation to its other themes. I would say stuffing the Berlin Wall into a story that is about pretty apolitical witches like are the witches communists are they capitalists like who gives a shit they're just witches and obviously that comes comes with its own feminist angle which i think is interesting to explore certainly for the original suspiria but you know i mean obviously a witch movie will always have gender study type themes that'll be able to be picked apart and analyzed but the new suspiria just does not have the same kind of punch. Also, moving it from Italy to Germany completely ruins the tone of the movie, because, like, it's not supposed to be in Berlin. It's in, fl it's in flippin' Italy. Now, part of the reason the original Suspiria is so great is because the main character is American, so if you're watching it and you're an American, you can identify with the main character, and that's really great. Another great thing about Dario Argento's movies is that they're all in English, which is pretty weird for an Italian movie, but... They're just all in English. Uh, maybe some of them are, like, dubbed over, but I don't think Suspiria is. I think Suspiria is uh, just completely in English, which is weird. But, like, one of the best horror movies ever made. Maybe, maybe like, definitely top ten. It's so good. And, uh, yeah, the, ma the main girl in the original Suspiria, Jessica Harper, is American, so it's believable. This new Suspiria... It's directed by Luca Guadagnino, who's not, not, a, oh, he is Italian, I guess. If he's Italian, why switch it over to Germany? It, it just doesn't work, you know? He, he is Italian, so there's that. I just don't think Suspiria is the kind of movie that, that warrants a remake, like the original one is so perfect. It's such a tight product. It's such a well 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 crafted piece. And I really don't think a remake is necessary and I don't think a remake uh, is going to be good. That's a thing. I think I think that's the I think that's a I think I think probably one of the problems is that uh they're trying too hard to distance themselves from the original trying to be like well, we're, the original one looked cool, so we're going to make this one look boring to make it different. But, you know, I mean, I, th I think that ultimately works to the film's detriment. I think maybe if Suspiria played off uh, nostalgia more and made itself more like a subversion of the giallo tropes, then maybe, maybe it could, like, be nostalgic and fun and a fun remake. But instead, 
I mean, nobody's nostalgic for, like, the Berlin Wall in the 80s. That was a bleak time. That, that was a sad freaking period. You know, nobody, want, no, nobody wants to look back at that and go, like, Oh, yeah, remember the Berlin Wall? Wasn't that fun? You know, nobody, no, nobody's like, oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's not fun. It, it was a sad time. And I get that, you know, Susp New Suspiria tries to be just as sad. Well, I, heck, it could explore Cold War themes from Italy. Italy had its fair share of that going on back back then. But, like, also, I think... You know, I, I just think, like, to to set it at the same time but in a different country is is a real insult to Italy cuz there's so there's so Italy Italian horror movies totally bring home the bacon there's so many good ones there's Girl Who Knew Too Much there's Julietta the Spirits so many good Italian type horror movies but it seems like this new Suspiria has just completely overtaken the original Suspiria and that is seriously just just so sad cuz there's so many better there's there's so many good Italian horror movies. Like my gosh, uh, original Suspiria just looks so freaking good. It's just a labyrinth of color, and that's what's appealing about it, you know. Uh, so I I got I gotta say that like the remake of Suspiria does not live up to the standard set by its predecessor. And I think if you, if you're diving into a into a into a genre as established. And well-crafted as Giallo, you really got to respect the genre and go by the conventions of that genre. And if if you if you if you want to make a bleak type horror movie, that's fine. But it's not a it's not an Italian horror movie. It's like a Lars von Trier horror movie, you know, like the House Jack built. That thing looks like vomit, but it's an original story. So there's you know there's no conflict there. But you're trying to remake Suspiria and you make it look intentionally not fun then there's, you know, Suspiria is like Fantasia. It's like the freaking Fantasia of horror. It's just an explosion of colors and fun. Uh, so that's, I'd say, the main problem of, of uh, the remake of Suspiria is the color palette does not look that good. I mean, the acting's fine. Tilda Swinton's okay. But there's not, there's not a single part of that... There's not a single sequence from that movie, I guess you could say, that actually makes me go, you know, that I actually remember. I watched Alvin, I don't remember, I don't, I don't even remember, like, one sequence. I guess I remember the part where Dakota Johnson gets all racy and is like, I want to have sex with an animal, bestiality, you know, that's not going to be an original Suspiria, obviously, because Dario Argento has some kind of taste. But, um, I remember that bit, obviously, Dakota Johnson's got to be as gosh darn uh, provocative, provocative as possible, which is not the point of Suspiria. Like, sure, it has a scene where someone gets chopped up by barbed wire, but it doesn't need to discuss bestiality all the time, because that's just gross, and and really turns the viewer off, as it were. Um, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't even have the Goblin soundtrack. That's another thing, too. Not only the visuals are impaired, but the frickin' music sucks. Um, the original Suspiria theme, and that's a banger. That's a, that's just like a solid banger, you know. Goblin knows where it's at. That, that, that's a that was a bold choice back in back in the seventies. You know, to put a to put a to put a rock score to your horror movie because it, you know, because this this was before Halloween and John Carpenter puts puts the uh, synths on Halloween. Um, 
back, back when Suspiria came out, that was a bold move, putting, putting a rock soundtrack to your horror movie. It really works, because Goblin gets the themes of the movie, and you got that creepy, that creepy, like, nursery rhyme type, type of music box theme, and then you got the creepy witch murmurs behind it, and it's just so great. The original Suspiria theme is absolutely a solid banger, one of the best horror themes ever. It just got Tom York. No, you me wrong. Radiohead's fine. I think everything in its right place, fine song. I think Kid A, fine album. Okay, computer, decent album. When I think Radiohead, I don't think I don't think I don't think Suspiria. You know, um, I, I I don't even necessarily think horror. I think their their music is very trance-inducing. Very nice if you want to relax and just listen to some drone. I don't think of it when I think like, oh shit. There's a witch around. There's some witch activity here. There's some supernatural stuff going on here. This is exciting. Oh my gosh. There's secrets and weird shit going on in this creepy dance school. Oh my gosh. This is so creepy. I think that. I think I think Tom York and the Radiohead bunch are best suited for making you know, sleepy time music. They they make gosh darn lullabies. They should just they should just accept it. Their albums are not the most peppy. Like, I listen to a track from Goblin, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a rock explosion. This is a gosh darn pep extravaganza here. This is an exciting, energy-filled whirlwind through, like, terror and, and apprehension, and uh, it totally fits the movie. But I really just don't think Tom, you were, I don't think Radiohead fits in any horror movie. Not, it, it, it doesn't fit in Suspiria. It wouldn't fit in any horror movie. It's not scary. When I hear a Radiohead song, I'm not like, oh my gosh, this is so creepy. I'm just like, oh, it's Radiohead. You know, great, great for... And I think I think this new choice, Dara Gento's making a... put his next movie with Daft Punk. That totally works. Daft Punk, obviously, is great at, at conjuring up a science fiction or horror atmosphere. You know, they're great at that. But, uh... I mean, I've I've never heard really a horror type Daft Punk song, but they could probably pull it off. They're good at genre work. They're good at genre pieces. Random Access Memories, I think you get a guy starring Hugo Award. It's a great sci-fi album, but Radiohead just doesn't have that same kind of punch to it. And you know, I I, I really, I mean, you look at the new uh, the new Radiohead music video, for instance, if you say the word. And it's kind of structured like a like a like a lo-fi crime mystery or something, and uh, yeah, I'd say that's absolutely the kind of thing that Radiohead fits with. But does it fit a, a horror movie about witches and and doing crazy supernatural shit and lightning coming out of their fingers? Heck no! You, you get a rock band for that. You get you get freaking Goblin, you know. And Go Goblin's themes are just the best. I mean, you listen to some Goblin things. That's like primo italian mm. uh, they 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 have done soundtracks for so many great movies like la via, la via del droga that one's a jam that one's a freaking jam i totally go for that um but yeah it's just the suspiria theme song is i don't think it gets enough hype compared to like you know the halloween theme and uh, and like that a lot of memorable movie themes i don't think suspiria it's nearly as much as much cloud as it should, because it's really just a great, great song, really a great horror song. Um, but I, I personally, I can't say I hate the new Suspiri. It is a, it is a competent remake, in the same way the new Dune is a competent remake. But 
being a competent remake does not ensure that it's going to be a great remake. Like, I think the best remakes, like The Thing or Scarface or like that, are of movies that weren't that good originally. The original Thing, it's okay, it's, a, it's competent, but it's nowhere near the Kurt Russell version. The Kurt Russell version totally blows it out of the water. I think if you're... I think the only case in which you need to remake a movie is if the original wasn't good. If you remade like, you know, if, if you remade something like Speed and you made it actually interesting, if you remade something from the 90s but made it actually good, if you remade like Speed, then, may, you know, maybe that'd have potential. If you took a really crappy, like, Pauly Shore comedy like Son-in-Law and made it witty and fun... Maybe that'd be a remake with potential. But if you're taking great shit like Suspiria and like Dune and trying to remake it, do you think you'll, your remake will be better than the original, which is good and, and great, you know? Um, I, have a, I have a Dune review coming out in a while because I saw that just a couple days ago. It's a competent remake. Same goes for the new Suspiria. They're, they're competent remakes. They, they work as movies... And if you haven't seen the original, then you probably like the remake. I don't see, you know, really what, what the appeal of that is, considering that if you're going to see a remake, you've probably already seen the original, and you're going to compare the original and the remake to each other. And watching the new Suspiria, I can't just accept it as, like, a, 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 a non-Dario Argento story. It's a story Dario Argento came up with on his own. It's his story. So I'm not I'm I I can't just be like oh yeah this is this 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 is a different vision of the story that is specifically designed to be colorful and with the Dario Argento style behind it you know uh, I can't I can't I can't I can't buy that but I think uh, I think the lighting is not great the co the colors are substantially worse the music is substantially worse they don't even put like a single cue in there to the original suspiria theme which is so so good it's that'd be like if if the new halloween didn't have the halloween theme and they made up a new theme that was like by chance the rapper or something would totally ruin it. the new halloween trailer works because it has the halloween theme in there do 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 and it works on the nostalgia. It's like, well, you know, this, this is produced by Blumhouse. At least it's got the song you like, at least. At the very least, I expect a, a remake of a horror movie uh, to have the the fun theme, you know, because a lot of horror movies have good, fun themes, and Suspiria is one of those. Not even once in the remake is there a single callback to that awesome theme, which is totally a totally a jam, you know. Uh, totally, totally a, totally a piece de resistance from Goblin. I think, I think Wikipedia says, obviously a lot of work went into the new Suspiro, which I can buy. It, it is, it is a, it is really like, you know, it says, they, they, they got a prosthetic arm and broken ribs and dental cast uh for for Olga which you know I appreciate that the practical effects and all but um I I think the original 
Spirit Works is there's like no no CGI. It says her actual arm and leg were removed from the footage in post production via digital processing. There we go, CGI. But uh, I personally prefer original Suspiria because back then there wasn't any CGI, and Dario Argento has to actually think. How can I get this actress in a pit of barbed wire and have it look like she's getting torn apart by this barbed wire without actually tearing her apart? That's a challenge. That's the kind of thing practical effects need to solve, you know? Um, I, I appreciate that, like, they at least got a, got a fake arm and leg in there and didn't just CGI him in, because that would have looked like shit. But they could have come up with a practical way to remove the arm and leg, you know? They could just, like, set it in kind of a dark room and put a and put her actual arm and leg in like a black black cloth or something you know i mean they're like the invisible man has that kind of effect where they make arms and legs disappear and that was the freaking 20s and 30s removing arms and legs and shit isn't that hard can provide you know what you're doing and i, I don't see why they couldn't use the same effect that the invisible man used I mean, back then, that was obviously, like, a groundbreaking effect, but The Invisible Man has some really, really good effects, and it's not CGI, so it looks absolutely incredible. In fact, let me see how, was, how it's done. Casting. Filming. Uh, the Invisible Man, according to Wikipedia, they had been shot against a completely black set with walls and floors covered in black velvet to make it non-reflected. The actor was then covered head to foot with black velvet tights and wore whatever clothes he required for the scene. With this negative, a print was made, and a duplicate negative was made to serve as metes for printing. Then with an ordinary printer, they made a composite first printing of the positive of the background in normal action, using the negative mat to mask the area where the invisible man was to move. Uh, the difficulty of this was matching the lighting on the visible clothes shot with the general lighting used in the scenes and fixing small imperfections such as the scenes with eye holes, which were touched up in the film frame by frame with a brush and a paked eye. That's always an option. You can just draw over your film. You can just draw over it. You don't need, you, and not even on a computer, you can just do it with a paintbrush and it'll probably look fine. But uh, The Invisible Man absolutely has some great special effects for its time. Also, most underrated universal horror monster, I'd say. Uh, but that said, I think... I, I don't think digital enhancement's ever necessary. And I think the fact that original Suspiria has such good sequences, like especially at the end, where, uh, where the main witch comes out and she starts, you know, throwing lightning around everything, that, that stuff was just painted on the film. No CGI necessary. You just draw lightning and shit on the film, and it looks great. Um, so, you know, original Suspiria is absolutely visually gorgeous. But, um... It says uh, on the page for original Suspiria that it was dubbed, but, uh... The, the main girl who's an American obviously speaks in English, so... That makes it very, very believable. I like that. Um, and obviously, as an American, having 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 an American main character is pretty good. Uh, which isn't to say I can't enjoy an Italian movie with an Italian main character, but it's just kind of neat. It's kind of an approach that only only Argento takes, but it makes it makes his movies a lot more accessible to an American audience. You know, because obviously, 
um, and American audience will identify a lot with with the uh, you know going to Italy and everything. Um, I like I like the scene where the the blind guy is walking with his dog, and then the witches eat him or whatever. That one's awesome. Um, that that scene that sequence is just incredible. The blind guy. Um, it's it's so creepy to think that you'd just be walking alone in this in this empty like Roman architecture late night, and then suddenly there's all these shadows and coming at you on their brooms. That's so good. Uh, contrary to the conventional wisdom that Suspiria is entirely post-synced, the English language mix is actually not entirely dubbed and uses a fair amount of production dialogue recorded on set mixed with post-synced ADR. Actors whose actual on-set recorded voices appear in some scenes of the English mix are Jessica Harper, uh, the main one, uh, Alita Valley, Joan Bennett, Miguel Bosé, and Flavio Bucci. And uh, I, I'd have to agree. I don't think, I, I, I don't think I'd watch Suspiria and go, yeah, that's that's dubbed. It's very natural. It's a really good dubbing job. Um, especially, you know, considering it's an entirely Italian production for the most part. Um, this experience is so gosh darn good. Um, how, how's the... How's the uh, effects done, though, with the barbed wire? It doesn't even say on the, um... on the Wikipedia page. I'm not going to ruin the ruin the mystery because i mean the barbed wire scene is looks great and it i i think the barbed wire scene equally beats it easily beats out the scene in new suspiria where the one girl has her bones ripped out of her sockets or whatever because like you can't really identify with that and the same the same the same problem is brought up in in a comparison from uh, yms comparing the new old boy and the original old boy which is that you know, the the in the original boy, he he yanks a guy's teeth out, and that's you know you can identify with that kind of pain because odds are you know someone has dealt with you know dental pain before. That's a very common type of pain that the audience can get. But uh, in New Old Boy, the main character slices open Samuel Jackson's neck and pours salt into it, and that's not a kind of pain that most people can get because most people when they get a wound don't have salt poured into it. Like, sure, that hurt, but it's not the kind of pain that most people have a visceral reaction to, because it's not identifiable. I'd argue that the same type of thing applies to the to the Suspirias, in that hopping into a pit full of barbed wire is a really scary prospect, because most people have seen or felt barbed wire and know that it really hurts and it's really not not good to get it get tangled up in um you know most people have and it really it really is a bad substance to get mi mixed with but uh you know most people don't have like their arms torn from their sockets and shit that's not something the average person experiences having their bones protrude from their skin all over you know um like i guess you know you can break your arm but even then it doesn't always pierce through the skin so like it's just not as it's just not as viscer inducing it's not as uh it's 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 not as visceral you know you really can't feel like oh my gosh i really uh, that, that must really hurt because most people break their bone like once when when they're really young and then they get a cast and they're like okay i'm gonna be more careful with my limbs from now on most people definitely don't get like all their sockets and shit torn apart at the exact same time all the time you know that's just 
that's just not a that's not realistic and that's not the kind of thing that someone would you know i think i think part of the reason the original suspiria barbed wire scene works so well is because that's actually a thing that could happen witchcraft no you could have a pit that's full of barbed wire and it's just so so ouch you know um it doesn't even require any supernatural element but i think since a new suspiria it's the witches that directly you know rip the bones apart that's too supernatural you can't really be like oh dang you know because it's it's a magic injury you know that's not the kind of thing that really uh is intense as it were so i think i think the people who go like oh man the new suspiria is so good oh my gosh it's so great like it's competent it's it's just not as good it's just not as good you can't outdo bart you can't outdo freaking Dario Argento, for gosh sakes. He's a master of his crafts. Um, the barbed wire scene is flipping great. Um, and again, you know, I wonder how that was done. But I'm not. I'm not gonna look it up because I mean, it. it I, I don't want to ruin it. But there are a lot of great special effects that aren't covered so much, and that's good because it, it's good to. It's good to not ruin the ruin the. Uh, you know the magic of it. I mean, there are a lot of special effects that really take some effort to. And I think I think a good film ultimate would be like a like a good magic act. You know, you wonder how they do that. And if the answer is just with a computer, then I'm like, okay, lazy. Uh, move on to, move. You know, try something with your imagination, please. You know, um, if it's just with a computer, it's like boring. Anyhow. Uh, yes, uh, original Suspiria is great. Definitely recommend that uh, as a Halloween watch. It's an absolute banger. It's an absolute classic. It's absolutely, definitely the best Italian horror movie, I'd say. Suspiria totally owns all all the rest, uh, even all the rest of Dario Argento's movies. Deep Red, Opera, you know, op Opera's pretty okay, but I, I mean, Suspiria is just on another level of Twisted. It's just on a whole new plane of, like, Oh dang, this is scary. It's it's a gosh darn scary flipping movie. Um, so Suspiria is great, and uh, I'd say a much more influential horror movie than Black Christmas, or a lot of these ones that people say are, are influential. It's also two years before Halloween, so that's neat. Um, a lot of people say like Halloween is the most influential uh, horror movie ever made. Uh, I personally. I personally tend to think it, it's really not. I mean, horror has a rich history prior to Halloween, but I, I do think I do think uh, the original Halloween's a perfectly good. I mean, obviously, Halloween two perfectly fine, and then you got Halloween Halloween uh, three, which is fine. It's a it's a fine thing. But then I think after that, the series really leapt off the rails, and I'm I'm not falling for this for this new freaking this new freaking you know. Halloween and Halloween Kills and the the next one and whatever. I think I think there's too many Halloweens and I don't care about all these Halloweens. Too many Halloweens at this point. Um, but I I just hate Black Christmas. Awful awful movie. Awful movie. I saw it. I hated it. It was the worst viewing experience I've ever had. Watching it was it's like watching a freaking it's like watching snow melt. Or watching paint dry. It's one of the most boring experiences I've ever had. And that's not that's not something good for like a horror movie. You shouldn't bore your audience in a in a horror movie. 
Black Christmas is absolutely and absurdly, it's absurdly awful. It is an absurdly poor execution of that kind of story. And uh, that's all I can really say about it. Anyway, it's 438. Uh, any other questions? I'm going to be giving away a free copy of Shane of the Undead to anyone who can answer the upcoming trivia question. Any any final questions about, about anything like that? Um, best neighborhoods to trick-or-treat in Denver? Uh, gosh, I usually, I usually have never really gone beyond... I guess Park Hill obviously has... A lot of the king-size candy bars, especially along Mindview, obviously. Um, one time I checked out Hilltop, and they had, had it going on. Um, I'd say, you know, in general, obviously. Not always. This isn't always the case. But the houses with the best decorations will usually have the best candy. But actually, that's not a good measure of it, because, you know, sometimes you'll see this, like phantasmagorial haunted house looking it's got skulls and giant great and, and then it's just give like a, a crunch bar or something that's not that not them i'd say probably the the most interesting thing was when there was a bunch of bones out on this one front yard and i was just like can i have one of these bones because uh, the tombstone said bones for sale or something and uh, they're just like yeah go ahead have some bones um I think that same year I got I got a whole bag of melted popsicle well not like popsicles on a stick but the type that are in the tubes. I just got a whole bag of melted popsicles, the type that are in the plastic uh, drinking straws and you're supposed to freeze them, but they were unfrozen. And that was interesting. Probably one of the craziest things you can get. Uh but I yeah, I, I'd say pro probably Park Hill is 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 pretty good for for game. This year, of course, it's gonna be a whole it's gonna be a whole uh, blizzard or whatever, a, a giant rainstorm on Halloween night. At least in the later hours, the 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 rain is gonna be about twenty five percent. So that's a real shame. But uh, before that, probably probably fine weather for whatever. Uh, I don't think there's any good horror movies this this year. There's Antlers, which is that one about the Wendigo, but uh, I I've seen these Wendigo stories for like forever. I I, I saw the new Pet Cemetery movie uh, a while back, uh, upon its initial theatrical release actually, and uh, I I just found it so crazy that Stephen King would stuff something as cliche as the Wendigo in there. I guess I guess it was written before that really became a cliche, but then you have stuff like the Wendigo story and the original scary stories to tell in the dark. You have it in like it's in everything, and I just find that so weird because there's so there's so much more to Native American mythology than the Wendigo. I mean, there's so many more characters and stuff, especially considering like there's like over twenty different tribes on the North American continent alone. You'd think that like. You know, there'd be some horror movie about an entity I haven't seen yet, but it's always the gosh darn Wendigo. So I can't say this new Antlers movie's really piquing my interest. Uh, luckily, I was able to see the original, uh, or no, not the original, the, the new Candyman uh, about a month ago, and I, I, I personally liked it. I think Tony Todd obviously always has... Uh, always, uh, it's great it's Tony Todd back as Candyman. Um... 
pro- probably the. I mean, I I've never liked Jordan Peele. I think he's an absolutely abysmal director, and all three of his movies, Get Out, Us, and uh, the new one, Antebellum, are just like the worst, right up there with James Wan and Blumhouse, awful horror movies. But I think. Uh, since the new Candyman's directed by Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele just produces it, he kind of steps back. And I think that's that kind of contributes to the movie not being this ferocious dumpster fire. Um, but other than that, I think Jordan Peele's filmography is ridiculous. I mean, the, the guy's a gosh darn sketch comedian, but he thinks he's the next Stanley Kubrick. I thought the new Candyman was good, but that's only because Jordan Peele didn't direct. It was Nia DaCosta, and um, obviously it has the... It it, it 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 has the same uh, stuff as the the franchise is already set up, and I think that's nice. I I think really underrated movies got to be Jerome Bixby's Man from Earth. Uh, that one's really good, and it has uh, Tony Todd. A Man from Earth is really good. It's it's not a horror. It's a it's a sci-fi, but uh, Man from Earth is pretty good. Anywho, uh, this is 4.43. Yeah, I, I can't say I, I know much about the different Denver neighborhoods in terms of their potential for, for good candy or anything, so I can't say. Uh, I mean, is a, 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 an extravagant lawn display isn't always a guarantee of, of anything too interesting in terms of candy. But, uh there's always good displays in Denver like that. Obviously, uh, there's, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of skeletons, lots of zombies. It's always pleasant to walk around uh, near Halloween, see all the big displays and whatnot, because some of them are pretty elaborate. I have to say the most elaborate one I've ever seen, um, was pro- it, was, it was just like a, this one house had, a, had an entire, like, maze set up in the front, the front lawn that you could like walk through and there's scary stuff in there and um it's probably the most elaborate display I've ever seen they had, like a whole haunted house set up in the front yard um most don't go to that 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 extent uh every time there's there just like handing out fresh cups of cider it's like for like a, straight out of a coffee machine I believe that they just had a table set up on the sidewalk and they're just like have a cup of cider um, that that's pretty wacky, you know. You don't see that too often. Just like fresh, hot, steaming cups of cider just given out. But um, you know, obviously, I think there's a lot more. There's a lot of interesting stuff that gets given out on Halloween, especially like you know, it's always razor blades. I mean, there's more interesting stuff that that has historically been given out on Halloween. Uh, I I I think that razor blade thing is just total shit. It's like I don't think you I don't think you could get an apple. For instance, I don't think you could get an apple and not see a mark left by a razor blade because, like, they're not—they're not nano thin. They're like a millimeter thick, especially on the thick edge. It has to go into the apple, so I don't buy into that urban legend. All that—that—that—that that, that, that is just ridiculous. Also, I—I I don't even think anyone ever gives out apples because, like, you know, who would? But uh, I give out like caramel apples or. Usually those are packaged, though. They're the Daffy Apple-type caramel apple things that uh, are already pre-packaged, so no razor blades in there, obviously. I just don't think razor blades can go in fruit and not leave, like, a visible mark on the fruit, you know? 
I don't think that's possible, physically. I buy into the razor blade myth as much as I do into Kippy's story about finding a bunch of ants in his syrup. It's just not, it's just not the kind of thing that's theoretically possible. Also, not even like, ah, darn, Mini Gus left. I guess, I guess no free copy of Man of the Undead or something. Huh, that's a real shame. Ah, darn. I don't buy into that razor blade story much. Yeah, really, it's it's kind of it's kind of like uh, it's like the Kentucky Fried Rat. How do people keep buying this? Also, it's just like a razor blade. You know, it's not like a it's not like cyanide or something. So you just have to take the razor blade out, and then it's a perfectly delicious edible apple. So even if you did find a razor blade in an apple, I can't imagine it'd be that bad. I see. I'll ask him. This is probably the only time we'll be giving away a free copy of Shane of the Undead, so... I might give it away next week if no one, if no one wins it this week, but, uh... I'm holding out hope here. The Man from Earth, uh... It's like one of the one of the last stories Jerome Bixby wrote, but really good. Definitely recommend one one of Tony Todd's best roles. And yeah, the razor blades and apples totally don't buy that. But total bullshit. I can see through these urban legends a mile away. I mean, there's never been any reported cases of razor blades and apples, or poisoning candy or anything like that. It's just complete fear mongering. It's just like. I mean, I don't know where these stupid urban legends originate, but they're absolutely ridiculous. You know, I'll probably give away a free copy of She and the End Dead next week, anyway. Um, really great comic. 20 pages of solid zombie fun. That's right, Shane and Eb just walking around, brutalizing up some, some gosh darn spicy zombies. You ain't never seen zombie action on this level before. It's going to totally flip your lid. Get ready for Shane of the Undead. That's really exciting. Really looking forward to that. It ought to be pretty fun. Uh, I, I guess... I guess you left just a little bit before his guess. Trivia question. Oh, well. Free copy of Shane of the Undead next week. And it's going to be entered into the catalog officially tomorrow. And the trailer's also coming out tomorrow, which is pretty good. Homage to George J. Romero. I think George J. Romero deserves more respect. If you haven't seen it, check out George J. Romero and Dario Gento's collab, Two Evil Eyes. It's good shit. Uh, Two Evil Eyes is flipping, flipping cool. Uh, it, their styles really do mesh in that case. Even though George J. Romero's movies aren't the most colorful, I think George J. Romero and Dario Gento are a much better fit than George J. Romero in this freaking uh, what's his name. Dara Gento and George Romero is a much better fit than Luca Guadagnino and Dario Argento. I mean, their styles are just completely antithetical. Obviously, the other best uh, horror collab in history has got to be Creepshow between Stephen King and George Romero. That one's an absolute jam. I mean, Creepshow is just awesome. 
I absolutely recommend checking out uh, Creepshow. If you haven't seen Creepshow, you're going you're, you're gonna to flip your lid once you see Creepshow. One of the best horror movies ever, Creepshow. Can't recommend that enough. Also, Tales from the Dark Side. I don't think Tales from the Dark Side gets enough clout, but The Last Car is pure nightmare fuel. That shit will, will haunt you for days after you see The Last Car. That is the kind of thing that only the that only the era that Tales from the Dark Side was made in could, could really produce. Anywho. Also, if you're into Edgar Allan Poe, Two Evil Eyes is for you, because it's got M. Valdemar... And it's got the black cat. So if you're into the black cat or M. Valdemar, then you'll enjoy Two Evil Eyes. I personally think the black cat's underrated. I think a lot of people confuse it with uh, a Telltale Heart. But uh, it's very different. It has a very different tone to it. I think it, it just goes to show the kind of twisted shit that Edgar Allan Poe was willing to write about um, when nobody else was. Uh, black Cat's an excellent story. Um... My video about Lovecraft versus Poe is now out, and uh, yeah, I, th I think I think it 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 will garner some garner some controversy because I'm shitting all over Lovecraft, who's everyone's favorite horror boy, but uh, it has to be done eventually. And I find it so funny that the fellows who defend Lovecraft to no end, like Kip, have never even read Reanimator. Like, yeah, you haven't even read it. And, you know, I, I, get the, I get the argument that you don't have to read something to understand it. And I think you can perfectly well go without reading Lovecraft for your entire life and just know that he's a giant racist and his books are stupid and his stories are dumb. But, you know, I, I, had, I have read his stuff and it's crap and I had to suffer through it. So I don't see why Kip should be defending the guy and not even have, have read the guy. I mean... But it was bloated a state where he, he just makes more money off it. That's so. Uh, Shane of the Undead comes out tomorrow, and uh, oh yeah, I, I I entered a short film um, to Nightmind's Candy Bowl contest this year because I was feeling pretty spicy. I think my entry is really good. I think it really conjures up the chills. So I'm hoping Nightmind puts it in his Candy Bowl compilation, but. If he doesn't, I'll try again next year, and I'll just release the short film on my own. On my own, but uh, it's a really good, it's a really good little short film, and uh, it's ten minutes. Called "You Might Have Seen Me." So if that comes out on Nightmind's Candy Bowl tomorrow, baby, uh, that's pretty exciting because I'm I'm gonna get an explosion in views from that. Uh, but you might have seen me. That ties into the kind of ideas I'm currently putting into two immersive online experiences about nostalgia and time and reconciliation and how that goes. All spooky good Halloween stuff. You'll find them if you look hard enough. You might have seen them. In fact, that's all I'll say for now, but um, no spoilers, obviously, for either of them, but... Um, the the trailer for Shane of the Undead is is in black and white and VHS glory and it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'd say as much fun as the comic. So check it out. It'll come out tomorrow. I always like putting together trailers for my new comics because I feel that a lot of comics um, don't get enough don't get enough release hype. I think I I've seen comic trailers for like DC comics 
on uh, as commercials and stuff on TV. And they never seem to have like a, a creative process behind them. You know, if you're selling a comic, you gotta you gotta put some punch in. You got you gotta use some use some tactics, and I think that's important for any good comic trailer. Um, comic trailers are very different, obviously, from movie trailers because you can't really use any footage from the comic because the comic isn't a movie. So you have to kind of represent the idea of your comic in, in kind of an abstract way, which I think really sets the medium apart from movie trailers. Obviously, video game trailers don't face this issue because video games do have footage you can use. All you can use is in comic trailers is just the, the still images. And I think with a lot of comic trailers like those for DC, like I said, and they'll just like take a still panel of Superman... And make him look, uh, anim- make him look, kind of move. They have some kind of effect where they can make it look like the drawing is moving, but it never moves like that much. It's not a full-on animation, and um, I just think it's more interesting to kind of take a different approach and build kind of a, a lore around your comics and kind of you know make a make a comic trailer worth watching. For gosh sakes. Uh, speaking of Batman, some of you might probably wonder what I think of the new Batman movie. Uh, it looks absolutely fantastic. I think it'll probably be the best adaptation of, of uh, Batman since the 1989 version with, with Jack Nicholson. I'll absolutely check it out. I think it's nice that they're finally moving away from, from Joker, because Heath Ledger flipping sucks. I'm glad they're past their edgy Ben Affleck or Christian Bale or both those new Batman, right? They both suck. Ben Affleck and Christian Bale and all that. They've moved past their edgy phase. I think DC is might have the potential to overtake Marvel pretty soon if Marvel keeps up this repetitive same movie again and again like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumverse, Shang-Chi and Legend of Ten Rings and never change anything. Marvel just doesn't know how to change their formula. They just making the same goddamn movie again and again, which makes sense because they're owned by Disney, and Marvel, Disney doesn't have originality yet. But I think Robert Pattinson, perfect Batman. It'll be such an awesome Batman. I, I definitely want to see the new Batman movie once it comes out. It looks it looks cool. Um, That's my thoughts on the new Batman movie. Looks good. I like Riddler. I think Riddler's underrated. I think he deserves better than the Jim Carrey version. I think I think a new... More nuanced Riddler could definitely be be a good addition to the Rogues Gallery, and uh, yeah, just overall the the new Batman movie looks hype. Glad they moved past Ben Affleck. That guy sucks. He's, he's in flipping Giggly, and people still take him seriously as an actor. For God's sakes, he's in Giggly, or Giggly, or however you pronounce Giggly, or that Jalo movie is Giggly. Yeah. Anywho. I guess no one wins a free copy of Shandy Undead this week. Hopefully next week. I'm giving away a free copy of Shandy Undead, which is more fitting because it hasn't technically been released yet. So I kind of want to kind of want to keep it keep it under wraps for the time being. But that said, uh, that's been this week covering Analog or about the Superior remake, and uh, yeah, that's about it for this week. Looking forward to a good Halloween. Enjoy some candy, enjoy some scary movies. Halloween is where it's at. Halloween's a gosh darn excellent holiday, probably my favorite. I'm just just a great just a great gosh darn day all in all. I'm glad 
I find I just under the wire met the deadline. Finished Shaun of the Undead about two days ago, right before Halloween. No time, n barely any time, but I I did it. I met the deadline, and it's always very satisfying to meet a deadline. Makes you feel productive. Makes you f makes you feel like you've really really accomplished something. So I look forward to getting some orders in the next few weeks for Shaun of the Undead. It's a zombie extravaganza. And I think you're really going to like what I got in store. Because there's some twists in it that you would not believe. There's some there's some serious sauce to this thing. I mean, this is a gosh darn excellent comic. Anyway, it's just based off like a copy pasta I did here where I, where I wrote from the perspective of Shaun of the Dead. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's an amazing parody. It, it's just amazing. It completely destroys Ed Gray's filmography in one full swoop. And, uh, oh yeah, whatever you do tomorrow, don't watch Shaun of the Dead. That thing is trash. That thing is hot garbage. All right, well, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, hope, next week, giving away a free copy of Shaun of the Undead. If, if you like new free comics, then this is the one for you. Ch check it out and uh, tune in next week for a free copy of Shaun of the Undead. And uh, if Kip's listening in, you're also eligible for that free copy, so... Be a lot by next week. I don't know. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week. Hope you enjoyed listening in. Gonna go, gonna go carve a pumpkin. Gosh darn, Halloween's neat. And uh, yeah, Hall Halloween is the gosh darn top shelf stuff. Can't get enough Halloween. Good, good holiday all around. No, I'm thinking I should get smokers. Do you want to be on the show? Join the Nicholas Comics Discord server today. I'll answer any questions you have. You can appear in the next episode. Do you want to buy Nicholas Comics? Write to Nicholas Kitt, 1424 Columbine Street, number 1, Denver, Colorado, 80206. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on the next episode. All I'm doing is going to look at the fuse box.